Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And we are very excited to talk to a guest in LA. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Masood Hayoun. I wrote When We Were Arabs, and I'm super excited to be with you today. Thank you so much. And I literally just watched Nadia. Well, not watched, but I just saw Nadia reading your book for the past <laughs> several days. <laughs> and it, it would be amazing if you watched it. If that I just watched so the whole time. No, but like, <laughs> I wasn't aware that you were watching me while I was it's reading this whole so time. Intru- the point of that is it's cool to like have seen your book be read in our living room and now we're talking to you like right after the fact. Um, oh, yeah. thank you so much. Um, yeah, so this book is really incredible. I've been meaning to read it for a while, even though pandemic reading has been really slow on my part. Um, but do you want to yeah. kind of give like a short uh, synopsis about uh, what uh, When We Were Arabs is about and what inspired you to write it? Absolutely. Um, when We Were Arabs is a decolonial memoir of my grandparents uh, and what came before them. And uh, more importantly, it's a political theory of Arabness and of belonging. My grandparents are Jewish Arabs from Tunisia and Egypt. My grandmother and I, my grandparents raised me. My grandmother and I had a very unusual relationship, I would say. She was very uh, young in the head and we were very close. She was very much a socialist and a revolutionary thinker and very much what one would expect from a a Tunisian woman. She and I decided around 2016 that we wanted to embark on a project that would address some of the kind of larger abstract ideas that we had been discussing over the phone when I lived in New York and she lived in Los Angeles. So I lived in in a tiny New York apartment my apartment was infested with roaches, so I would bug bomb my place every night, go outside and smoke like a few cigarettes and call my grandmother. And we would talk about the life that I was leading uh, working as a reporter at Al Jazeera, which was an interesting part of my life. It was really the first time that I got to interact, I think, with a lot of Arab American people that I just didn't have that opportunity very much growing up. Uh, non-Jewish Arab American people. So I was having conversations very frequently with my grandmother about things that I would hear about their families that really resembled things in our family and what that meant. And that was happening over the backdrop of the 2014 assault on Gaza. And we discussed what a project that was about Arab liberation would look like, uh, how that project would address our particular relationship to the cause for Palestinian liberation, how to tie all of these different threads uh, together, the the personal, the historical, the journalistic, the uh, genealogical, uh, and how to make that significant. Nobody really cares about an individual family or individual kind of feelings about causes. So what makes this important? And these were kind of discussions that we ended up having, we decided that we wanted to write a book together. We fought for several years to get a book contract. Uh, We got a book contract and she died three months into the production of the book. I I told my editor that I was in a very dark place. I'm a lot better than I was, but I was in a very dark place and I needed to kind of hightail it out of there. So I ended up writing this book in less than six months. 
And, and I did, I hightailed it out of there. I was deeply depressed through publication, well after publication. And then I um, met all kinds of people, some of them better than others in relation to this book. For the most part, I ended up meeting very powerful revolutionary minds uh, within and outside of the Arab American community or people who are parts of our even broader Swana or Muslim world or whatever, what have you, kind of communities, people who wanted to feel a sense of commonality with some of the ideas in the book or the ideas, I think, at, at the heart of the book, which is that a lot of how we are is decided for us by politicians who are very far removed, if you're from one of these backgrounds that had been colonized. Uh, and very much how I was raised and how Daida and Oscar, my grandparents, were was decided for them by people in Paris and in London, in cities that they'd never imagined moving to or assisting in their colonial project, but who people decided for them that they would be ripped from their societies and that they would be used effectively toward the colonization of the rest of the indigenous populations of their homelands. Um, so that's the long answer to that question. I apologize for rambling. No, that's great. Um, there's yeah. there's a lot in there I want to talk about. I think first off, when I was reading the book, I was just really taken by the hybrid format of it. Uh, first off, um, it it really literally tied together the personal and the political, um, and also it had me think about what it would be like if I were to do that with my grandparents and um, like to to flesh out their lives in relation to political history and filling in the gaps and. Um, yeah, just kind of the, the different lenses you get from the XYZ Accord and then how it's actually affecting real lives of people um, who are, yeah, being affected by it. Um, so that that was, aside from the, like the content and the discussion of identity, I think I was just really had me thinking like, A, what would it be like to do this process? And B, gosh, what if, like, what am I missing? Or what are we all missing if we don't get these stories before it's too late, um, which I'm, I'm sure is something that you've been kind of grappling with, um, kind of thinking. It's something else that really stood out to me in the way you approached it. I think you had one line that was like, all origin stories are political. The difference is I'm just telling you what my politics are straight up, which is something I really appreciated, especially when it came to like discussions of chosen identity. Um, we talked a lot about like Arab identity or any other ethnic identity not being this essential truth that some people make it out to be um, with this very precise origin story, um, but rather being a choice that people make for political reasons. And I also uh, have thought about how people can choose the same identity markers with different politics attached to it or different identity markers with similar politics attached to it. So I guess like in the conversations you've had surrounding the book uh, once it came out. Um, what, what kind of conversations on that uh, in that area have come up? Um, are there people arguing against uh, people of, for instance, North African Jew and Jewish identity um, identifying with Arabness? Are people um, maybe associating Arabness with uh, Arab nationalism? I know we've had a lot of conversations about like uh, rebranding a lot of previously like spaces focused on quote unquote the Arab world as like Swana, Amina, um, being more 
inclusive, although I very much personally still identify as Arab. Um, I don't know if this is a question anymore, but I, I'm just kind of curious, like, yeah. what's what's come up in, in that conversation from your perspective um, after releasing that book? Uh, there, there's so much there. I think that first, I really love the idea that you would embark on a project like this with your grandparents. I think that anything to address the legacies of colonialism, especially as they exist uh, generationally like that, uh, have a lot of potential to undo so much of what's terrifying about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, Trumpism, Trump is n more or less no longer in power, but we have no idea where we're at with the future of fascism unless we end up starting these kinds of conversations. I would say that I feel both excited by the idea of you doing this with your grandparents, and then also there have been so many people who've come to me and raised a very real concern, and that is within Arab and Arab-American circles, there's so much melancholy, kind of sorrowful, looking back, yeah. uh, nostalgia. And I would love to see, and this is just food for thought for you and for everybody else out there, something that's super futuristic and Arab would be so interesting to me. I know that like I spend so much of my life being kind of a basic B for Arab Americans with my own Kalthum sweaters. And I listen a lot to uh, Warda and, and uh, Abdel Halim Hafiz and all that kind of stuff. Like I spend a lot of time looking backward. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents, so I think a bit of that is not really about being Arab American, but about being raised by old people. Yeah. But so that would be my overall thought would be I'd love to read that from you and from people who are interested in looking generationally at our where we're coming from and where we're going. Uh, I would also like to see somebody Arab write something about the future that makes me feel like there's a future. About the, about the structure of how things came out, I wrote it very fast. I'm a very impatient person and I was in mourning, as I said. So I, I felt like I was doing something very abstract. I wanted a very disjointed structure. There are two different chapters in that book about, uh, in my book about our home countries, how our home countries were without the lens of colonialism insofar as it's possible, which it's impossible really to look at our home countries without, without any kind of colonial lens, and then the next one with colonialism. So it is meant to be an abstract work that looks at these people not in any kind of a chronological or a narrative. There's no continuity in that way. It's meant to be disjointed because our lives were disjointed several times over. In terms of the responses, there were people who liked, politics aside, there were people who liked that kind of abstraction and there were people who didn't like that kind of abstraction. This was billed because of the way that books come out. Books come out and they choose genres for them. And this book came out as a memoir. I think anybody who was looking for a memoir would be disappointed in this book because it's a lot more political theory than it is like a love story of my grandparents. My grandparents married each other ultimately because they had to marry each other. My grandmother needed to get out of her house. My grandfather needed to stay in France. My grandmother's uncle gave him a letter to stay in France and my grandmother got her freedom from her family 
who she was like a handmaid, for, uh, not a handmaid, a maid for our family. So they needed things from each other and kind of learned to love each other over time. It's not a love story by any stretch of the imagination. I think some of the reviews that were kind but didn't really get the point tried to make this uh, like a trajectory of people looking for a home and then they finally found that home in the United States and thank God for the United States because if they didn't have the United States then they wouldn't have found home and it was their their uh, journey through this uh, American maze I think somebody said don't google them they're sweet but that's not the point it's not to, to I mean that's interesting because not much of the book takes place in the U.S. Exactly. That was also how Oscar wrote his autobiographies in his Costco notebooks that were a kind of a resource for this book. Uh, he wrote what were meant to be like a full life autobiography that he wrote when he was bored and he was older. And none of it wasn't about his life after he was in his early 30s in Egypt. It all went back to Egypt. It all kept going back to Egypt. And in many ways, his life ended in Egypt, he was always living in an Egypt of the mind. Our house was an Egypt of the mind. He was always searching for bits and pieces of, if not Egypt, then Lebanon or wherever immigrants were from in the Arab world in Los Angeles. That was the point of every single Saturday we were driving to Anaheim to buy groceries or we were driving long distances for him to buy like a cheese or a, a movie mm -hmm. or, or to find, oh, there's a, a Armenian Lebanese opened a movie store where he's selling uh, uh, just Arab films or, or anything, or we were taking five buses to the central library so that we could go to like a, a bookshelf this wide of, uh, mm -hmm. of Arabic books. So uh, this, this book, the point, obviously, of, of a book that's decolonial isn't to glorify the United States as a safe haven <laughs> for immigrants. To my mind, that's crazy that somebody allegedly that read this book and that that was the takeaway is that I'm glorifying a settler colony because that would absolutely not be what I would ever do. I would, I would say, let's decolonize, let's think about decolonizing this space in the same way we need to think about decolonizing Palestine. That would be... I feel the logical conclusion to this book. There were a lot of people, I should say, from a kind of an optimistic place mm -hmm. who really vibed with this book on a personal, poetic, or political level, who really did understand or who taught me something about myself and my family that I didn't know. There were a lot of people who impressed beautiful things upon me that I didn't see in the haze of writing it. There were quite a lot of people who wanted this book to be one thing or the other, mm -hmm. and who very interestingly just totally didn't see the main points of this book. There were some people who are Zionists who looked at this book and said, there were, there were Zionists who hated it, and there were some Zionists who didn't hate it, and I thought to myself, did you, did you read the book? <laughs> yeah. It, it, did we read the same book? I didn't feel like um, th there, there were some kind of liberal-minded people who said that they liked the book, but who also didn't get the whole kind of decolonial angle, who, who maybe didn't want it to be calling for an end to ongoing wrongs. 
there were just there were a lot of those kinds of people who really just didn't read the book and it's entirely fine just tell me that you didn't read the book just don't <laughs> pretend that you read the book and then tell me that i wrote a book that's uh in any way uh an attack on the arab people or any of that it's and then that brings me to another part of your question that was beautiful to me and that's that arabness is a chosen identity uh, and that was, of course, not uh, my my own thought. It was the thought that I got from talking with people who have spent their entire academic careers kind of looking at Arabness and what comprises Arabness since it's such a, a nebulous term and since um, we come from so many different backgrounds. And I don't know if my furthest ancestors are from the Arabian Peninsula or if they're indigenous Amazigh people or if they come from places I never even uh, imagined they might come from. Uh, and frankly, that doesn't matter in my Arab identity because I don't, as we've said in our conversations pre before this podcast, believe in an essential Arab identity. I don't believe that anybody, including in an Arab country, is Arab if they don't identify with that legacy. And to my mind also, if that Arabness doesn't exist in a way that is geared toward human liberation ultimately i'm not i'm not interested in that arabness there are a lot of people who don't share my politics who by all means can call themselves arabs there are people who are jewish arabs who are zionist and who identify very strongly with an arab cultural legacy to my mind identifying with the arab culture if it's not in the service of the liberation of humankind beyond Arab borders or beyond the Arab identity, it's utterly useless. So that's where I draw a line between what I uh, am talking about in terms of my own personal identification in this book and uh, make America great again that would exist for the Arab peoples. Mm -hmm. the, the very term, the Arab peoples, is one that I borrow I don't know if in its origin it's this way, but it's one that I borrow from reading the writings of Nawal Saadawi. So it uh, is one that's based in an Egyptian feminist socialist dialogue on what this nebulous thing that is the Arab peoples might be. And it is multitudes. There is no single people. There are people who have been assailed by an Arab nationalist identity or by individual incidents. Uh, and by all means, those people shouldn't identify with an Arab uh, identity or an Arab legacy, cultural or ethnic. There are a great number of people uh, in my family's home country of Tunisia, in Lebanon and across the Arab world who don't identify with an Arab cultural legacy, who I would ask to interrogate the reasons for that. If in earnest you don't identify with an Arab cultural legacy because you have interrogated every single possibility and it just doesn't ring true to you in terms of your identifications and your feelings of solidarity or belonging or history, God bless. Uh, or whatever, if you don't believe in anything, uh, universe, be kind. The, uh, I do believe that there are a great number of people who don't identify with that Arab cultural legacy because they have bought into a lot that is said about Arab people. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess I, I might go on a slight rant about Phoenicianism. Um, I'm Lebanese, by the way. Um, please. Yeah, no, I think there, there's such a difference between um, people who are not identifying with Arabness because they are of a, like, a marginalized group that has been colonized versus um, 
this is going back to the whole essences versus practical use thing. Um, and I find that like Phoenician identifying very strongly and not in a cutesy way as Phoenician, like that's almost exclusively used by like xenophobes, um, yeah. uh, like who are promoting this like Lebanese, uh, mostly Christian Lebanese separatism and are specifically trying to like exclude Palestinians and Syrians who like also might be Phoenician descendant. I don't even know. Like it's not like Phoenicians like stuck within future boundaries and are like, there's probably going to be some state borders here. Better not go over to that mountain. Literally their point was like movement. Yeah. Yeah. Like Phoenicians got around. So like, how do you know that guy's not a Phoenician? Like I, 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 I can't, it's hard for me to see any legitimate to see to that identity, how it's currently being used um versus like if someone was like i'm not arab i'm kurdish i'm like okay yeah <laughs> you know right. yeah absolutely absolutely and then there are ways in which we know from policy papers that those kind of divisions have been teased out specifically for the purpose of dividing and conquering people mm-hmm. i i think that it, tunisia is such a great kind of Uh, parallel to the Lebanese circumstance, obviously very different, but with so many people, especially a very particular kind of uh, bourgeois, uh, secular Tunisian person identifying with Carthage or with any kind of other identity uh, in our kind of historical shatshuka. It is very specifically for the purpose of furthering a European Western colonial politic in our lands. So if it is in earnest and you've interrogated in yourself whether it comes from a place of racism and trying to reaffirm the, the farce that is borders and trying to otherize people with whom we do have a lot of cultural things in common, I, I am totally for it if it's in earnest. I'm totally against it if it is... Uh, a, a holdover from from imperialism, which it so frequently seems to be. Um, but people need to interrogate themselves, and hopefully, me doing that to myself is uh, living by example. I guess that's one of the reasons for this book is that we were told very specifically by uh, the colonizers that we had to envision ourselves as a, a people totally separate from the rest of indigenous. Uh, North Africans, and by and large, that is the case today. Many people have forgotten any kind of indigeneity that they had to their former home countries, but those were decisions that were made for people by French dignitaries who envisioned a way forward for France at a time when it was jockeying with Britain to further its colonial footprint in in these lands. So what I'm asking of people insofar as the project of the book is to have people interrogate themselves if they're, you know, which is not really the project of the book in many ways. It's not the project of the book to convince people to oppose apartheid. It is the project of the book to empower people who already observe a fundamental kind of baseline of human life and dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have like a glimmer of, of, respect for human rights and dignity already in you, then maybe like my family did uh, in the lead up to this project, you can undergo a a process of self-interrogation that might upend everything you know about yourself and everything you know about 
uh, these kinds of false dichotomies in the world that were chosen for us by people very far away. That's beautiful. Um, So just for listeners, I've already mentioned this to both of you that I I haven't yet started the book. I'm about to. But you admit it, unlike the people who wrote those reviews. No, no, but I'm about to start it since Nadia finished it. But uh, one thing I was able to read was your Lit Hub article. Which one? Uh, the but, one in 2019 where you talk about... I believe it was... It, it might have been like from the the intro, the beginning of the book. Uh, it was yeah. talking about origin stories. Yeah, and something I loved about that is how you conveyed... I mean, this is what I took from it. One of the elements I took from it. Nationalism, for example, both promotes identity and deprives people of it. And I mean, what you're talking about right now is making me think about that kind of that juxtaposition some form of formation like nationalism there is a unification of you're you're in a place you're surrounded by oftentimes the same things but there's sometimes process in which like you are encouraged to let go of the diversity that you should be able to also celebrate in that same place so i love how you interrogate that that um there is beauty in being unified and there's also there's so much that you can lose also yeah it's um, it's i I guess i don't know if this is similar to what you're saying but i think Mm -hmm. it's like sometimes nationalism like artificially homogenizes people and then sometimes like especially like colonialist projects artificially divide people and then it's like well (laughs) yeah where where does the self-identification come in the face of both of those things um right and I, I think what you're kind of getting at is like sometimes it's less the like what of identity and more the why. Like why are you choosing mm-hmm. this? And I think you really beautifully articulate what your why is. Um, that was that was beautifully put. I think that it's very difficult to posit an answer to that question that that you raise. Like uh, where do you draw the line between nationalism and toxic nationalism, and and feeling a sense of solidarity with people on the basis of ethnicity. And I think that very much this book is a a reaction to overarching kind of hierarchies. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very different to identify in pride with a majority and to react to something you've been told to be your entire life uh, that uh, is continuing to kill people Mm -hmm. and dispossess people. And uh, and ultimately, if the identity that you uh, that you espouse kind of plays with any kind of status quo idea of boundaries or borders or things that are designed to to kill and to dispossess, then I'm there for it. Uh, I think that there are there are people who identify with an ethnic or a cultural legacy in a way that isn't geared toward human liberation. And that those yeah. uh, people who, who choose that kind of a why or who are without a why and it's just they play certain music at uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs or communions or aid. I'm not interested in their personal kind of cultural observances. I'm, I don't view Arabness as a superior state of being. I view Arabness as beautiful in its contradictions. I, I am very different from a lot of Arab people. And yet at the same time, now that the people who raised me are dead, um, 
I, I experience a sense of human commonality with people who, who have nothing to do with us, who are from thousands of miles away from us. And that to me, to me, and maybe not to another single Arab person, although a lot of people I think share in this feeling, that's Arabness. That's where Arabness exists. There's nothing about my blood or my DNA that to my mind makes me superior to anybody else or sets me apart from the rest of humanity. It is very specifically because we were sequestered, my family was sequestered from the rest of Arab civilization and told that we were not fundamentally a part of our societies, mm -hmm. that I need to say no, that we are very much part of those societies and that the proof is that now that my parents are dead, I can meet someone from uh, the Gulf, from a place with an extremely different culture where people don't even necessarily physically look like I do, or maybe they do, because the thing is that every Arab society, people look so different from each other on the street when you walk around, that it's beautiful that I can find immortality for my parents and this bygone world in random people if I'm allowed to go back to these places. There's magic in, in that. And that there's nothing fundamentally, I've been taught since I was little that I'm, as a person of Jewish faith, not welcome in these spaces. That's, I mean, there are individual instances of bigotry uh, in our country, in our countries, uh, and that is to say our Arab countries, that doesn't ruin my ability to go back to those countries and feel this commonality with the vast majority of people yeah. in the same way that I am guilty of the settler colonial project that is the United States. Um, but what happened in Pittsburgh under the Trump administration uh, doesn't divorce me from my existence in this society that is at once murderous and also a safe haven for me and the remnants of my family. The, the fact that I take uh, pride in my Arabness, the fact that it's a reaction to everything that's come before and what I've been told, uh, to my mind is the, the distinction between a, a toxic kind of nationalism and a, a, a reaction to the status quo and the hierarchy that keeps on killing people. And, and that's also to say, and I think that it's a good time for me to say what I've said a few times before, my support for the Palestinian people and for Palestinian liberation has very little to do with my Arabness. It's not that it has nothing to do with my Arabness. It's not that I support Palestinian liberation and human rights based on just humanity alone, but it needs to be the humanity first. It, it can't be uh, Arabness first, just like for Muslim supporters of Palestinian liberation, it can't be about Islam first. Uh, that's not really for me to say as a non-Muslim person, but I, I would say that you can't essentialize what is a fundamentally human rights issue uh, in, in that kind of way. It isn't because I'm Arab. I would hope that if I were something very far removed from Arabness that I would still stand in support of Palestinian and any kind of liberation where it was necessary. That's beautiful. Um, but, but I do support Palestinian liberation insofar as it is inextricably linked to Arab liberation. So, so that's why I say that it is not the central reason for my support of Palestinian liberation, but it is obviously a reason to support it. There will be no right. liberation of the Arab peoples who are still fundamentally tied to a, a Western-centric uh, hegemony. 
a Western-centric hierarchy without the liberation of Palestine. And, uh, and it is my hope that people across the Arab world will recognize that. And still, I need to underline that there's nothing about my family's ethnicity or identity, whether ethnic or religious, that, that means that I need to support any, uh, Palestine any more than everyone in the world right. should support the liberation of Palestine because we need to have that kind of empathy that we saw plain as day. Obviously that empathy wasn't there before the Trump administration, long before the Trump administration, but that we saw is lacking in the United States, specifically in the Trump administration in a more visceral way when there were forced hysterectomies on immigrant women in uh, concentration camps for, for immigrants uh, made under the Trump administration. So we need that empathy. I want to live in a world where that kind of empathy exists. Uh, and I don't only want it for Arabs, I want it for every single person in the entire world. And I want to bring the Arab peoples the honor of advancing an argument that makes that kind of human empathy uh, emerge from our considerations and from our voices. I want to share that with the other peoples that we're inextricably linked to around the world. I want us to bring empathy back to ourselves and to uh, and amongst us and to other peoples all over the world. And I think, um, and I think it's possible because we're having this kind of conversation right now. We understand each other on a spiritual level. And I think that it's this kind of understanding, this kind of love that uh, is revolutionary more than uh, more than a book. Here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. I mean, identifying as just a fellow human being needs to come before any other identity absolutely identity markers. Um, and also the 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 approach that you talked about when exploring one's identity, like that is what we should aim for versus people um some people explore their identity or want to yeah want to, want to dig more into that identity with the motivation of having like a hunger for power over others um, and what you're describing is the complete opposite of that absolutely i don't want to have power over anyone i think that that the desire to have power is such a male enterprise I don't know if that feeds into gender binary. I, I feel like maybe I'm not saying this in the right way. I feel like like what was happening in when we were Arabs was because of my grandmother, because it is a very women-centric enterprise, not to desire power over people, but to desire to be one among people. Absolutely, and at, yeah. at the same time, uh, I wouldn't also say socialist, maybe socialist. I'm, I'm very interested in the fact that within the context of Arab societies, we had, uh, at least in my family's societies, it's impossible for me to speak for people, so many people over the course of thousands of miles, uh, ways of being that predate any idea of socialism that understood the need to not leave parts of our society in the dirt. Yeah. Um, my, my hope is that people will read When We Were Arabs and say this is a fundamentally uh, anti-patriarchal enterprise, in part because my grandmother in many ways was the co-author of this book. It, I don't want people to think I was the author of this book. I ended up physically writing some of this book or whatever. 
but it was written by a woman and it was written by a woman later in life. Yeah. Uh, that is to say that uh, she seems our like mother such a badass too. She sounds she like was. a gentle badass. <laughs> she was. She was absolutely a badass. I think I called her a gangster one time and she didn't get it. <laughs> she didn't like she didn't like that. And then I was also um, I wrote another piece on Lit Hub about like an interaction I had with her about like weird superstitions in our family, which she didn't really want to believe in superstitions also because of like, uh, uh, because it's against our religion, but also because of kind of a socialist practicalism, like not really believing in superstitions, but we were superstitious people. And I asked her, what about the little like witchcraft that we do in our family one time? And she was deeply offended. And I didn't understand until a horror movie came out in Tunisia after my grandmother died about witches, why witches are so scary in Arab society and why my grandmother would have been like so offended that I would call her a witch because I uh, <laughs> grew up with practical magic and like movies where witches are like hippie, Joni Mitchell kind yeah, of yeah. Like, <laughs> earth brothers. No, she, uh, she was very against that, but she was, she was a very strong woman. She was a matriarch in many ways and a testament to the fact that in the, earliest of our incarnations in North Africa, we were a matriarchal society. And that the endeavor, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but I read an op-ed one time that was talking about how uh, the full control over Palestinian lands and bodies is pornographic in a way because in porn, so much of the idea, and this may or may not be true of porn, uh, is complete and total male domination of female bodies. And to my mind, that was interesting. Mm. If we had to gender the kind of oppression that we're seeing in Palestine, and if we had to gender the oppression that we're seeing internationally, what gender would it be? Does it feed into a gender binary to say that when we were Arabs is a, a fundamentally female enterprise? Uh, I have had so many issues with male kind of authority figures in my life. Uh, but in my reaction to them, do I do a disservice to people in certain movements for liberation? Those are questions maybe for another book, uh, even though gender, I think, features so prominently in this book. And I think that my grandmother got married to my grandfather in a way that felt like a liberation to her. And I guess people can read more about that if they want to. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily be women's lib for me. I, I, I think she still ended up marrying a man who was um, still an authority figure who married a woman who was significantly younger than him with the kind of a cultural idea that he would raise her into a wife. And it was very similar to the patterns that I've seen in other Arab and Arab American households. Yeah, to my mind, the real liberation is that at the end of her life, she ended up refusing everything. She ended up realizing the kinds of women's oppression that she faced. She ended up realizing the kinds of uh, gender issues uh, in tandem with her realizations about imperialism and Palestine and uh, situating herself among the Arab peoples. It's really cool to hear that just people can like change their perspective so much later in life. Like you don't yeah. always see that. I, it's interesting to me that in our society right now, and this is happening, obviously, Netflix is not necessarily a purveyor of like uh, progressivism. And, and, but Grace and Frankie, I think, 
I was watching Grace and Frankie around the time of the production of this book, and it really impressed upon me the fact that we uh, dismiss older women in our society so often. We dismiss their sexualities. We dismiss mm -hmm. them, uh, uh, their thoughts. Uh, yeah, we've talked about was, that a lot lately. Yeah, tell me about being um, condescending to older people. Right. How yeah. we sometimes have a tendency to do that, and it's like like condescension down. Like, I mean younger we go younger and then we also aim it at like much older people but it's like they, they they've they've seen some shit that we haven't yeah and, like, like okay they don't know how to use an ipad whatever like yeah. but they lived through two wars and right you know like <laughs> yeah exactly she didn't she i mean my grandmother the fact that i have to tell people that she was very young in the head or whatever is uh, it's unfortunate to me that I have to explain to people that a, a, a revolutionary philosophy uh, could have emerged from some, from a woman in her 80s who was uh, differently abled. Right. I, I think that we, none of us, know the way forward. Mm -hmm. None of us. Yeah. We're at a, a, a place in world history that is thoroughly fucked. Mm -hmm. And we have only to look toward the most unconventional places for philosophies of liberation. And uh, I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm a man. I, my mom has a theory that we all like the opposite genders, old people more than we like our own gender. And we see our own genders, old people as disgusting. Uh, Interesting. I, think, I don't, well, okay. Hmm. Huh. I, I, okay. I don't entirely know how I relate to the opposite gender thing, but just in terms of like, upbringing i'd say that's definitely not true for me like i i'd say like especially like older men's arab spaces i would be like i do not belong there <laughs> like that that is not that um for sure um yeah that's good because that makes me feel better about liking my grandmother so much i see like older women as I enjoy older women a lot more than I do older men, and I think that that comes through in the book. Not that I love Dida more than Oscar, and I feel yeah. bad for saying that, but... Uh, no, there's a difference between, like, love and just, like, comfort, you know? Like, sure. or yeah. just uh, feeling feeling at home with somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always gotten this sense of, like... I don't know, this just particular kind of, like, uh, collective feminine affection from, like older female relatives and like uh, female familial spaces um that's a really special yeah thinking back to times I, w I was just with my mom and grandmother i don't know there's something just so special about that older feminine like guidance or energy or like that feels so at home yeah a safety i feel yeah. i feel that kind of safety okay. i feel to be honest with you when i'm with femme people I feel a lot more safe than I do when I'm with uh, male people. Yeah. Until, until today, I feel very uncomfortable if I'm in a room with male people. Yeah, I mean, I think, like... Which is not... ironic because I'm gay, but the, I think that uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel very comfortable with men in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, hate to generalize this much, right? But I think there it's is something true. to what yeah. you're saying about like mas association between like masculinity, violence, militarism, and like national, like all, I, those are all kind of like, there. there is a, there, there's dots connected between those things. Um, they're definitely connected in my family. Um, 
yeah, I, I think I think we all have reasons for associating like masculinity with aggression and violence and authoritarianism. Yeah, regardless of the individual. Yeah. To be continued in part two. Thank you.